What's up, everybody? Welcome to this segment episode of Couch in the Dungeon, where we talk about everything Dungeons and Dragons. Today is episode two, Races of Dungeons and Dragons. So today we're going to be covering uh, about four different source books, uh, the Player's Handbook, Mordecai Presents Monsters of the Multiverse, Mythic Odysseys of Theros, and Fizbon's Treasury of Dragons. Uh, these are going to be the four books that I think add your most races in, and some of your more exotic races that are uh, have been a lot of fun that I've seen played at the table and that I've played myself. And, of course, you know, your player's handbook just adds in your basic, not basic races, because, I mean, realistically, out of the nine that are there, some of them are my, a couple of them are my favorites. So, uh, with that being said, we'll jump in and get started. So, starting with the player's handbook, uh, you've got nine races, and those would be the Dragonborn, Dwarves, which the Dragonborn are essentially bipedal wingless dragons, and they do get a breath attack. You got your Dwarves. Your Dwarves are pretty hardy and come with a multitude of... Uh, they got some Dwarven combat training, so they get proficiencies with kind of a greater variety of weapons uh they get a bo higher bonus to their constitution they have resistance against poison and advantage on poison saving throws which is kind of cool especially being a new player if your dm throws something like that at you uh they have dark vision as well and uh they got a couple of other proficiencies that are uh, pretty cool and they have a couple of different sub-races that are available right off the get-go in the uh, player's handbook. <sighs> um, next up you have some elves, which elves, you know, are your... I guess what you would think of your common fantasy elf. Um, they get dark vision. They have advantage against being charmed and magic can't put them to sleep. Uh, they get... Uh, they do get a pretty cool bonus where they can trance and they only have to sleep for about four hours a day for a long rest, which is I always thought was pretty cool. And they have a couple of different sub races that are available right off the get go with the player's handbook as well. Actually, one of the first races that I ever played was a wood elf ranger and uh it was a lot of fun i didn't play him for very long before i moved on but i got him to about level three or four and i had a lot of fun with it and uh let's see and then you got a gnome which a <coughs> gnome is like a two foot three foot tall creature like almost like what you would picture a little garden gnome or if you've watched Vox Machina, the legend of Vox Machina on Amazon, that would be what Scanlan and Pike both are considered. And the gnomes get some pretty cool traits. 
excuse me, they get advantage on all wisdom saving throws, intelligence saving throws, and charisma saving throws against magic, along with, of course, dark vision. Uh, I stand corrected. Gnomes stand about three to four feet tall and are typically not much taller than four feet. And the player's handbook has uh, a couple of different gnomes sub races unlocked as well. You would have the foam, <laughs> the foam, the forest gnome, and the rock gnome. And then uh, you get a half elf, which is half elf and half human. So you get traits from each of them. An unfortunate thing with that is, as humans, they don't really see a half-elf as a human. They see him more as an elf, and as a, the elves, the elves kind of look at him. They see him more as the human than they did the elf, which, yeah, that's not really, like, a thing that you, is, con I guess, gets ran in every game. Uh, any half-elves that we've had, it's just kind of been, it's never really came up. Um, elves, of course, have dark vision, and they have advantage against being charmed. They can't be put to sleep. They gain a couple of extra proficiencies. And they don't really have uh, any variance with the player's handbook. Most of those come from, you would see, the Sword Coast Adventures Guide. Or there's a couple from Eberin last Rising from the Last War. After those, you have some half-orcs, which half-orcs would be half-human and half-orc. And I've never played one, but they get some pretty wild... Uh, they get a relentless endurance, and if they're not killed outright, when they drop to zero, they can drop the one hit point instead and still be able to fight then they get dark vision outside of that I don't think they get a lot I've never like I said I've never really played one halflings halflings are lucky so you can re-roll a d20 on an attack roll ability check or saving throw and now you gotta use the new roll but you know, anything's better than a one. Halflings average about three feet tall, so they're actually a little shorter than gnomes. But they have advantage against being frightened, which is pretty sweet. If you get frightened, you pretty much can't do anything but run away. So that's definitely a big help. And uh, they do get a couple of sub-races right from the get-go. In the player's handbook as well. And then of course you have. Humans. Uh, humans get a variant human. In the player's handbook. But it's not. I mean come on. Everybody's human. You're, you're playing a fantasy game. Well okay maybe not. But to me I'm playing a fantasy game. To play something else. So I almost never choose human. Even though they get a pretty wild. They get to increase all their ability scores. By one. Which is pretty insane. Most other races either get two. Or one. Or at the max three. Uh, they can choose an extra language. That they you know. 
and uh, I mean that's really about it. They they don't get some of the, like special things that some of the other races get. And then you have last but not least on uh, the player's handbook as we just kind of I just scrolled through taking a peek at them and we kind of clicked in and I want to specifically talk about a couple that I've played or I've seen played at the table that are awesome role play wise and are just a, a bunch of fun to play. Um, so tieflings get dark vision, they get a resistance to fire damage. And they get to know a tantrip. And then they get to do a couple of other things once they reach some higher levels. And Mordekin's Tomb of Phones and the Legacy, as it's labeled in D&D Beyond, unlocked quite a few uh, variant tieflings, which is cool. And then Swords of the... Sword Coast Adventures Guide unlocked a uh, variant tiefling as well. So now that we've kind of listed all the races, I want to talk about uh, probably my personal favorite that I've seen played at our table would be the Dragonborn. Um, now I've seen a gold Dragonborn played, a black Dragonborn played, and now a red dragonborn being played <clears throat> and uh the honestly the black dragonborn who had black would be a acid acid breath is the only one that i had seen use his uh breath attack and he used it quite a bit now the gold dragonborn i only played with a short period of time, so previously it might have used its breath attack, and uh, I was just never in the right combat scenario where it used it. But player-wise, I don't think that that player used the breath attack a lot. And uh, the red dragonborn that we're playing with, due to the backstory, uh, unfortunately he went through some really terrible trauma and he just does not like to use his breath attack anymore. And, uh, that's, that's, I don't know if it's a plot line that we're going to kind of try and work through or something, but I thought like throwing that trauma in there and then the player has role played that trauma incredibly well there was a great big battle scene and pretty much like he didn't really get involved in with the battle too much and it was kind of like thrown into flashbacks when it was passed and it was just it was pretty interesting and i think that kind of uh made me a little bit more interested in the dragonborn it was like well, the Dragonborn doesn't use its breath attack. Hmm. I wonder what that plays like. But the breath attack does level up with the uh, the DC going up as your constitution modifier and your proficiency bonus rises. And then the damage that is done also the level goes up by a number of dice per levels that you hit so as you know almost no matter what as long as you're not restrained from using your breath weapon 
magically you always have an attack and you also gain resistance to uh whatever color your dragonborn is so if you're a red dragonborn and you have a fire breath attack then you have resistance to fire damage or if you're a silver dragonborn and you have a uh cold breath attack then you have resistance to cold damage which is incredibly helpful uh going forward moving on to dwarves because i have not played a dwarf like some of my favorite races to see played i haven't got a chance to play yet and that's because uh, i usually keep a character alive and b i also usually dm a lot so that that doesn't give me the chance to to have as many characters out there but i usually make characters uh i'll make npcs or enemies and i'll usually make them characters that i want to play but i haven't got a chance to so it's given me a lot of uh experimenting and seeing some of the different races how they'll build and how they can play out and how you can use them at least from an enemy or a villain standpoint and it's usually pretty stacked so, one of my favorites was a dwarf, and like I said, they get dark vision, and they get that dwarven combat training, so right off the rip, you're going to have proficiency with battle axe, hand axe, light hammer, war hammer, plus whatever class you pick is going to give you proficiency with weapons as well. So, that, that almost lets you, no matter what you are as a dwarf, just pick up a weapon and go to town and then you get resistance <laughs> against poison damage and resistance means that you would take half of poison damage so if you took 20 points of poison damage and you got resistance you would actually only take 10 points <clears throat> plus you have saving throw advantage on saving throws against being poisoned excuse me i'm sorry about that and uh I mean, it's just cool, and your walking speed isn't reduced by wearing heavy armor, which I did not know, so that's awesome. Moving on to halflings, which are a race that I've seen uh, played in a couple of campaigns that I've watched and then a uh, one time at our table and they get well for one they have advantage on saving throws against being frightened and then two halflings are incredibly lucky when they roll a one on a d20 and I'm pretty sure I said this when I listed them through but I like it so much we're going to say it again uh, when you roll one on a d20 for an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw, you can re-roll that dice. I mean, you got to use the new throw, but that's, I mean, you just can't beat it. And, uh, I mean, they're incredibly dexterous. They can move through the space of a creature that is a lot larger size than them. And then, uh, I mean, it's just really fun from a roleplay aspect, right? I mean... You're just a little halfling out running around doing who knows what, and you ended up with the adventuring party, and 
Maybe you're the rogue of the party, or hell, maybe you're the fighter of the party. But either way, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, so moving on next, I want to talk about the Leonin. The uh, Leonin are uh, essentially large lion folk who walk on two legs, and they get a natural weapons where they can use their claws, which adds a 1d4 plus your strength modifier instead of just a normal unarmed strike. They do get a dark vision, so they can see in the dark up to 60 feet. Now, dark vision is when you are in dim light, you can see as if it's in bright light, and in darkness, you can see as if it's dim light, but you can't discern any color. It only looks like shades of gray. Um, For a bonus action, they can do a daunting roar, which attempts to frighten creatures around them and kind of makes them run away. They do get some uh, bonus proficiencies. And they do have a higher walking speed of uh, 35 feet. Now, they do typically tend to be more lawful characters, but you, you can play that however you want. You know, any any race or any cre- class can be played any way if you... Uh, you're, it's fun, and you're not disrupting with the table and disrupting the campaign and disrupting everybody else's fun around. And, you know, if, <clears throat> that's a simple conversation with the DM. If you're having any kind of issues or maybe you're not, things aren't going the way that everybody thought they were going to be, you can always you can always set aside a few minutes at a game and be like, okay, well, maybe... Maybe we need to retalk some things. Like, okay, I'm sorry. Or if somebody, you know, like, hey, you know, maybe, maybe not try to get off track as much or something. And there's a million and one ways to do that politely. And there's twice as many ways to do that rudely. So always try to be polite and respectful. Remember, everybody's there to have a good time. And sometimes everybody's variation of a good time of playing and what they're doing in D&D is a little bit different. You know, maybe if uh, there's a set, you know, everybody just wants a session where they can fool around and whatever you're doing doesn't really, isn't going to like destroy or mess up the story. And, you know, if the DM wants, you know, can give you guys like something that's a little off the rails, a little bit different, where everybody can kind of just go blow off some steam and be the murder hobos or whatever. And it's and it's some little one-off town where, you know, these heroes come in and end up just destroying everything and they actually leave the villains and, you know, it's not like a... And then they travel back through a plane and they end up back at home, you know, and it's not something where... Uh, it's going to completely disrupt the story, and if you guys, uh, you know, it could be like a recurring theme whenever somebody, like, there's, you guys reach a point, you're like, alright, well maybe we should just go back to so-and-so because I'm feeling a little squirrely today. Uh, that's some, I'm sure that's something DMs would love to do rather than get a little squirrely in the campaign and be like, well, you just... Shit, those were people that were important. That was kind of a thing. Like, um, guys, I got to rework on a campaign now. Uh, but anyway, shit, we got a little bit off topic. So let's jump back into discussing the races of Dungeons and Dragons.
So now we're going to talk about uh, Mordecai Presents Monsters of the Multiverse. Now, in my opinion, this one will adds, I, I, I counted them earlier, and I think it's over 20 various races, and these are previously monster, monsters that were considered monster races, or exotic races, or fantastical races, and they were spread out across various source books, and they took everything, and they made a whole new monster book, and they combined a whole bunch of monsters, and reworked everything, and they reworked a whole bunch of these races, and then they dropped them in this book. And if you want to just pick a book up that has a whole shitload of races in it. And that you guys just want to go hog wild. Every time I run a campaign, I tell my characters, pick whatever race you want. I don't care. We'll make it work. If you want to be a bugbear and a changeling and a deep gnome. And somebody wants to be a fairy and somebody else wants to be a king coo, Like, we will make it work. And I've kind of already put all the races. Like I figure, well, my my in my homebrew world, every race that is canically from Dungeons and Dragons is considered canically somewhere within my world. So, you know, anybody can play whatever. And I've seen, oh god, I've seen changelings. I've seen Goliaths. I've seen Ozimer. I've seen fallen Ozimer. I've seen satyrs. I've seen kobolds. Orcs, Tabaxi, Leonin, a turtle, and I mean it's so uh, you got fire you got different four different types of genasi. Each genasi is based off of a different element. So you have fire, earth, water, and air. Uh, you got centaurs, which are your classic body of a horse, top half of a person. You have the Aarakocra, which are literally a type of bird people, like a flying giant eagle. And then um, you have Goliaths, which Goliaths were made popular from Grog, from Critical Role, and uh, the Legend of Vox Machina on Amazon. <clears throat> and then, you know, you've got... you got the new rabbit folk that are I mean they're they're literally just rabbits that stand like I think they're like four or five feet tall and then they have tall tall ears and I, I my character one of my players made one as a character and he hasn't had a chance to play it yet but I mean it's made and we've looked at its stats and then you have the kinku, which is another type of bird that uses like mimicry to be able to speak. And then you have minotaur and lizard folk, sea elves, and then you have shifters. And shifters are able to pick like a different type of beast, and then they get uh, some different benefits, and they can kind of like half shift and. I haven't seen one played yet, but they look pretty wild. And then we have uh, Tritons. And I've seen Tritons be played. They can breathe underwater. Uh, they get a couple of spells. They can cast Fog Cloud. They can cast Gust of Wind. At a certain level, they can cast Water Walk. They get Dark Vision. Uh, they can communicate with anything that has a... 
swimming speed. And this is just like simple ideas or simple like images or something. But it can understand. It can understand you, but you cannot understand it, which is kind of cool. And you have a cold resistance, which I did not know. And they have a spinning speed equal to their walking speed. And, uh, I mean, having magic as a racial ability like that is pretty sweet. Because even if you pick a class that doesn't have magic, at least, even if it's just, like, one use a day, you get access to fog cloud and you can kind of create a cloud of fog that fills a 20-foot spear area, which is pretty wild and um moving on from Mordecai's we do have an honor mention of Fizzbond's Treasury of Dragons last and I'm saying honorable mention because while it does add in quite a bit the Fistbones Treasury of Dragons doesn't actually add any new races. It just adds in. Um, let me pull it up here. Oh, God. So it just adds in. Uh, it, it makes some changes to the Dragonborn race. And... Uh, kind of breaks down and it adds in the gym dragonborns and it adds in some differences for the metallic dragonborns and I, I thought that was really cool I really liked the uh, gym dragonborns I thought that they were different they got uh, They got a psychic mind ability where they could telepathically send messages to any creature within 30 feet. And they get, at 5th level, they can manifest spectral wings where they can fly. And it's equal to your walking speed. And they can also hover. So I, I thought that was really cool. And of course, depending upon what... Uh, what gem you took like sapphire emerald or ruby you get a perf resistance to a certain type damage type and um their breath weapon is actually a 1d10 instead of d6s and that increases at fifth level 11th level and 17th level so that that's pretty cool that's pretty interesting and An honorable mention would be Valer Volo's Guide to Monsters, which added in some of the older, some of the other races that I mentioned, like Awesomer, Fearblogs, Goliath, Kenku, Lizardfolk, Tabaxi, and Tritons. Um, if you don't want to pick up Mordekind's Presents Monsters of the Multiverse, you could go ahead and pick up the Valero's Monster guide to monsters and uh, it's it's got a whole host of monsters in it too and along with the races and i mean it, it was what we had before we had the multiverse book so it's always a good still a good viable option and i think that's about going to do it for today i hope that you guys 
really enjoyed this, and I'll be seeing you next week.